hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. David Boyer, who's a senior partner with Retina Vitreous Medical Group in Los Angeles, also is an adjunct professor at the uh, USC Roski Eye Institute, and really one of the authorities on retinal pharmacotherapy and clinical trials. Welcome back to Retina Synthesis, David. Thank you very much, Carmen. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, today, we're going to talk about an innovative therapy for diabetic retinopathy, so-called senolytic therapy. What do we mean by that? Well, well senolytic um, therapy involves the reduction in the cells that are senescent. Senescent cells are stress cells that no longer divide, and um, they accumulate in areas of disease activity and the, and the problem is they secrete discrete um, inflammatory markers. They have inflammatory factors, pro-fibrotic pro uh, factors, growth factors. This leads to a breakdown of the blood retinal barrier and causes inflammation at the local site. So UBX1325 reduces the synolytic cells. It actually gets rid of them. And it gets rid of them rather quickly. And what the end result is, there's remodeling of blood vessels at this point. The inflammatory uh, cytokines that are present reduces. And you get vessel remodeling, and eventually the endothelial cells again become um, formed to the point that they don't leak. So it repairs basically the blood vessels, reducing leakage. And they've done some animal models where they've injected in the mouse um, oxygen-induced retinopathy myelinid. It does decrease neovascularization and uh, decreases the avascular areas in this in this uh, mouse model. So they took it to the clinic and you know to see if that would be uh, able to be duplicated. And this study basically took patients with diabetes that um, were leaking. And in the beginning, they wanted they didn't want a very sick group of patients, but what they ended up with was a very sick group of patients. The study, um, and I'll go through basically the, the relative um, patients that were included. The theory behind the study was a little, a little bit poor. What they had looked at is they looked if you gave a flibercept according to the label, that after you know the first six months, patients stabilized and basically only created or got one letter of improvement. And they felt that, you know, introducing at this time um, the synolytic version 1325 against a, uh, uh, a sham so that they could follow these patients to see what, what the problem was. So this was a 48-week study, and this essentially patients were um, asked in the six months prior to um, being admitted to have at least two injections. And what they ended up with was actually uh, 4.1 injections or, or averaging almost, you know, uh, an injection every six weeks in this group of patients. And they said, well, you have to have greater than 300 microns to have some macular edema. And what they really ended up with was almost 440 microns on the average of um, edema. And the visual deficit was rather significant. So you had this run-in period, 24 weeks um, before, and then you administered a drop and then you followed these patients. And they're basically relatively um, symmetrical groups. There was not a lot of difference. Um, I think the sham group had a little bit of thicker retina and the UBX 1325 had 
basically a, a little uh, higher A1C. So the results were very interesting. After one injection, over 50% of the patients never required a rescue. They didn't uh, go, you know, they didn't need a rescue, whereas 80% of the sham patients required rescue before the 48-week period. Um, the visions improved in the UBX group um, as compared to the sham, either looking at without rescue or even with rescue, though the, with, with rescue, the results became closer. Um, there were certainly significant visual gains overall with about 25% of the UBX patients gaining at least 10 letters, which was impressive. The CST um, worsened in the sham group, as one would expect, and improved slightly, but not to the degree that we had hoped. But basically, at the end of 48 weeks, there was almost a, a 20 micron difference. There was certainly a statistically significant difference between the two groups. And um, I think that you know over 50% of the patients did not require a VEGF rescue in this in this group. There were very safety was good. You know, in other words, you gave this drug, you didn't see any vasoclusive vasculitis, you didn't see any uveitis. So it did prove that one single dose of this UBX1325 to reduce some senescent cells could reduce the inflammatory components, reduce the uh, blood retinal barrier breakdown, and had a significant gain of vision over sham treatment over this 48-week period with 50% of patients not never qualifying for um reinjection or, or rescue therapy. Um, so it, it's interesting, and a, a drug that with one injection can do this, um, you certainly wonder if you need additional injections or if you need a run-in phase to stabilize, but it'd be nice to have some additional treatments that go this long in our, in our armamentarium. So OCT did not improve substantially? It, there was a slight improvement in the OCT um, toward the end, it, it did improve a little bit more, close to 20 microns. I mean, there were the difference between the two groups was was certainly statistically significant. But you know, I would have expected to get this type of visual improvement. Um, I would like to have seen some some larger gains. Um, but we're you know we're seeing this in other trials for other conditions and even in, in, for diabetes, um, where you you don't get as much um, CST change, uh, OCT changes as you do visual improvement. So, it, it, you know, obviously we, we have to look at which patients improved and why did they improve and go back to the OCTs and really see, you know, did patients have drill that negated against the marked improvement? Um, did they have, you know, cystic changes where they just end-stage disease patients? Uh, you know, I think, you know, all that reevaluation is going on, but they plan on trying to go forward with a, a phase three trial. So does the synolytic therapy downregulate VEGF? No, it well, it, it, indirectly it does. It reduces um, the inflammatory components that will stimulate, uh, you know, VEGF. It's not an anti-VEGF per se, so it's certainly the mode of action is totally different. So you could actually utilize an anti-VEGF in conjunction with this um, to see, you know, this is basically really going after the inflammatory component Without um, a steroid, you don't get a pressure rise. There's no signs of any um, uh, problems utilizing. So, you you know how this fits into you know what we do on a daily basis is going to be you know interesting. Um, maybe we have to treat earlier, and maybe it'll, 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 the response will be better. Maybe, maybe this turns out to be a maintenance drug, 
or maybe it turns out to be a combination therapy that would uh, be able to allow us to go much longer and get better visual results. Is there any information on the design of the clinical, the phase three clinical trial? I don't think it's been totally worked out. You know, as you know, from doing a lot of clinical trials and advising a lot of companies, when you do a phase two, you want to gather as much information so you can go forward with the best phase three that you can. So these results are relatively new. I think the company is looking at which patients did better. Can we identify those patients and can we include those? Um, do we have to limit the number of injections? Are there patients that you know, that basically were so thick that they were never going to really improve. So I think while that is being evaluated, and then once we have some additional information, I think that we can come together and, and do a clinical trial. Well, David, thank you so much for this highlights of senolytic therapy. It sounds very promising and a novel non-VEGF blockade approach. Yeah, it, was, it, it really surprised me, to be honest. I mean, I, first of all, I had to learn what a senescent cell was before I even knew how to, you know, what this was treating. But once I realized that these cells don't divide and they liberate all these, you know, factors that cause inflammation and cause a vascular leakage, um, you know, I was pretty impressed. It happens pretty quickly and um, it's maintained for a long period of time before these cells build up again. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Carmen, for having me. 